Somebody get a shot up at the buzzer. It's good. Hawks home. The place is at the buzzer. The Dayton Flyers. Pandemonium in the Dayton Decibel Dungeon. This is Talking Out Loud, the number one podcast on the internet for Dayton Flyers basketball, always wearing red and being loud. And welcome back to the best Dayton basketball podcast on the internet. It's Talking Out Loud, and I am still your host, Sully, getting you ready for the TBT on Sunday, July 23rd. This is our last episode before the tournament kicks off, and then we will have uh, just a bit more coverage depending on how many games the guys win uh, as they cruise through the TBT. And just a reminder, it's a uh, a winner-take-all single elimination tournament. So they could be out on Sunday. They could be out on Tuesday. They could be out on Thursday. They could be out in two weeks. All those things are on the table but boy, we really hope that they can make a run as they return to UD Arena for the very first home game for TBT for our Dayton Flyers. 3 p.m. Sunday, July 23rd. You'll hear me say it a couple more times during this hour-long podcast that is jam-packed. I think it's going to be over an hour, actually. With interviews, we have John Mugar, who starts off the show tonight, founder and CEO of the TBT gave us some great insight. Uh, one of the better interviews that I have done recently. Uh, John just kind of gave us the the background of TBT. Uh, you know why they chose Dayton. You know how they tar- started to target our fan base, and uh, how you know we ended up getting games at the arena. Uh, so great interview with John. And then on the back half of the program. Trey Landers and CJ Walker, uh, two members of the Flyers TBT team, will be joining me as well. Welcoming Trey back to campus, obviously. Um, And CJ Walker, formerly of Ohio State and Florida State, uh, also going to be on the program. Uh, Going back and forth on Twitter, one of the uh, discussions I had recently was about the ticket prices. Uh, Right now on Ticketmaster is $30 for a session ticket. And if you recall, Jimmer Fredette is on the money team that plays before UD on Sunday, July 23rd. So it actually will be some good basketball being played right before the Dayton game uh, on the 23rd there. So I do encourage you to see both games. Because there's going to be some good basketball being played, okay? Um, obviously, the Red Scare, the team that they're taking on, I'm not infinitely familiar with, but that's okay. Uh, Dayton will be taking them on just the same. They go by the City team. Uh, and while they don't have a ton of names that I recognize, uh, one of them, Josh Selby, uh, did play in uh, the NBA. Their booster is Taco Fall, actually, who you might remember from Central Florida fame, the NCAA tournament a couple years ago, seven foot six guy. Um, he is their booster. I'm assuming that's how they got into the field, and they'll be taking on Dayton. Um, that money team that I had mentioned with Jimmer Fredette, that's going to be the one you want to watch before the Flyers take the court on Sunday afternoon. So the discussion that we had back and forth was whether the ticket price is reasonable. Now, I 
tend to think a $30 ticket for UD Arena for two games, 15 bucks a piece, is fairly reasonable. I know if you're out there and you're saying, well, I can get a, a Dayton Flyers ticket for about 10 bucks to see him beat up on Southern. Okay, listener, granted, as a pretty good point. So, in the name of that, I actually had someone from UD reach out to us on Twitter, and he passed along a special deal for all of you out there that want to get to the arena on Saturday. So, if you're looking to go to the game, go to my Twitter. I retweeted it, at Sully My Good Name. Um, uh, our good friend Dan, who works in the ticket office at UD, said that while he, cannot, he can promise the tickets will not be free on Sunday... He does have a code which will give you 50% off for any session at UD Arena in the upcoming weekend. Click on the link that I shared and then put in the offer code DaytonTBT. Help spread the word. You'll get 50% off, making that cost more palatable for yo cheap ass. Uh, we just want you in the building, okay? So just show up. Norm Grevy said it last week. The guys said it before. Bonsu, Gruden, they came on. They said, come on, wear red. Be loud. Show up to the arena on Sunday. That's what we're all about here. Uh, as far as updates on the not TBT Dayton Flyers, still no scheduling updates. We have to report to you as of the time of this recording. Um, the only significant update that's happened to Dayton Flyer land and the actual team that takes the floor in the winters and spring. <clears throat> I guess spring, if you count March being spring. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, Brett Comer. Uh, on the Dayton basketball staff, I believe he was the director of basketball operations, means he does a lot of behind the scenes stuff. Not exactly like one of the coaches, coaches, um, you know, there's a difference, right? There's guys that do behind the scenes stuff, there's video coordinators, and then there's like the actual coaching staff. Um, if you don't know the difference, look it up. I'm not going to sit here and explain it. But anyways, uh, Brett Comer got a job with Stetson. Donnie Jones used to be on the staff at Dayton. He has the head coaching job down at Stetson poached uh brett comer you might remember him from florida gulf coast when they did that whole like dunk city thing a couple of years ago um great guy great coach everybody in the program loves him so he just took a step up got a better title and actually got onto the coaching staff at stetson uh so we were sad to see him go and i'm sure his position will be filled in the coming days and weeks if it has not been already other than that, like I said, we don't have to belabor scheduling uh, on this particular episode of Talking Out Loud because nothing has really come across uh, the table for scheduling. So this episode gets to be uh, nice and short as far as the monologue is concerned. And we'll just jump you right into the first interview. Again, John Mugar joining the program, founder of TBT. And that's coming up on the other half of the break. I know it's a break five minutes in. Just deal with it. Bear with me. Okay. You're listening to the best Dayton basketball podcast on the internet. That's called Talking Out Loud, and I'm still Sully. We'll be right back. Welcome back into Talking Out Loud after a short commercial break. Sponsors need paid. They give it to us. We give it right back. Got to do the sponsorship thing. It's just the nature of the business. All right, people. I'm sorry. You don't get the best podcast in the Atlantic 10 without some sponsorships these days. I'm sorry. So welcome back uh, for our first interview tonight on Talking Out Loud. Rounding out the pre-TBT coverage, our fourth episode and final episode before the TBT tournament on Sunday, July 23rd. I have John Mugar, the founder and CEO of the TBT, who has not joined the program before, but he is a first-time guest and joining me now on the show to talk all things TBT before 
the game on Sunday in Dayton. John, what's going on, man? Uh, pretty busy season for you, I'd have to imagine right now, right? It is, Dan. Thanks for having me. Uh, we're three days into our, I guess it would be an 18-day tournament. So on the road right now in Cincinnati. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I, as a, a guy who likes traveling for work a lot, um, I have to imagine that this particular month, you're just basically going from planes to hotel rooms to gyms and then back to hotel rooms and then back to airports, right? Yeah, everything except for the gym I'm doing. <laughs> um, I just have a bag of lightly salted almonds that I take and I usually get to about 1 p.m. in the day and realize I haven't eaten much beyond that. So it's usually walking down the street for a half mile, two mile to find a Chipotle. Yeah. <laughs> I always say when I'm on the road, as bad as this is, um, not that they have the finest cuisine out there, but I always stop at Panera's when I'm working on the road because I know they're going to have good Wi-Fi. They're going to have comfy places to sit. Um, and generally speaking, Panera's are pretty quiet and you know what to expect, right? Like I'm not asking for a 10 out of 10 meal, but I'm going to get like a five or six out of 10 meal just about every time. And when you're on the road, that's about all you can ask for, right? Yeah. The big one that I get caught off guard by is bottles of water and that, that can oh. make or break any trip. If you're, oh. uh, if you're just, you have to take what the hotel gives you, you're talking a $5 bottle of water or you got to find a supermarket nearby. So it's essential for me. <laughs> you must be over 30, John. You have to be with a comment like that. <laughs> <laughs> is that is that something only older gentlemen are into? <laughs> no, no, it's just, uh, you know, I was talking to somebody recently. Um, I just turned 32 myself. And um, I was telling people that I, I travel a, a decent amount for work now and my jobs over my career, I've had varying amounts of travel, right? And I was like thinking back, like, what would I tell my younger self about traveling for work? And the number one thing is that wherever I go, no matter if I'm in Denver, if I'm in a small town, I was in Bloomington, Indiana recently, right? Like not a huge city. I always find a convenience store as soon as I get there. I get the two biggest bottles of water that's in like a 7-Eleven, and that's the first thing I do. I always have Cliff Bars with me, but I've learned over the years, just like you said, you don't want to be drinking tap water out of the faucet at uh, the local Fairfield Inn, because that'll no. really set you back a couple of days. No, I, I do trust those cardboard caps they put over the glasses next to the sink, but <laughs> I would much prefer a 24 quantity bottle of water from any supermarket. I love lugging those into any hotel. And they must love me they must love me for it too, frankly. To see me walking in the door with that. That's right, man. Uh, so all right, travel a schedule well spoken for, but um what does, you know, the month leading up to TBT look like? Or I guess let's back all the way up. I mean, is has this become a year-round job for you or is it around like February where you're like, "All right, shit, I got to, you know, start putting things together." I mean, what does the process look like because for my listeners, I'm sure for us, you know, as viewers, it's like, "Oh, hey, it's May or June." better start thinking about TBT. But for you, I'm sure it's it's almost a year-round slog at this point, right? It is. And that happened in, right after our first ever TBT in 2014. Okay. I did. A, I worked two jobs leading up to that, and it didn't work. Um, but we, we went into that pretty independent and privately funded and all that, but we got an ESPN deal coming out of it. So once we got that deal, I knew this had to be a full-time job for me. And now we're up to 12 people full-time year round to pull it off. 
That's awesome. And uh, obviously, you know, shout out to the marketing folks, Steve, specifically for setting up this interview, because I did want to get the chance to talk to you. And um, I'm a guy who likes to pull back the curtain a little bit and get the details about what's going on behind the scenes. So um, this is that interview, right? Um, When did when you were, I guess, before I ask this question, Talk to me about the foundation of TBT. Um, on the website, you guys tell a story that it was literally just like a text thread back and forth. Was that really how it all came together? Or was there more like planning? Was it like a night just sitting around the fire with a couple of beers? I mean, how did the idea of TBT come to be? I guess this was almost 10 years ago now, right? Yeah, I remember it very vividly. It was um, a Sunday afternoon. I was living in LA at the time as a writer, producer, and my friend since seventh grade, Dan Friel, was in New Orleans as a uh, U.S. attorney. And we were texting back and forth. And the, the premise that came up was what would happen if we put $50 million on the table and invited any basketball player or team in the world to play for it. And we started riffing on that and speculating whether that would be enough money for LeBron to play despite his contract <laughs> or the Lakers to jump in or Duke to jump in and, or guys from the YMCA or whoever, or like WNBA teams. And it sort of became this obsession. It was really fun to think about and imagine. And we got more realistic over the course of four months, came up with some written documents. And then I spent about two years pitching it while working this other job. And after a couple of years, we said we just have to put on a version of it that's way smaller than we envisioned, but we'll do a half million dollar winner take all tournament in Philly and announce it through Zach Lowe and just see what happens. And sure. that's what we did in 2014. Yeah, because I, you know, as a, a Dayton fan, uh, follower of the program and whatnot, um, it really didn't get onto our radar as much as it is today, obviously, until we had our own team. Uh, it was kind of out of sight, out of mind. But to your point, I mean, that's how you grab fans. You know, you give them something to root for. You give them something um, that they can identify with. And so leads me to the, the question that I did want to ask before was, what was that like breakthrough moment where you looked at everybody and you're like, holy shit, like we really have something here. Was it the ESPN deal or was it something else that was more tangible? And it was 8.30 in the morning on the first day of games. And at that point, people sh- were showing up and signing up and all of that. And we didn't really know. I mean, the people showing up kind of half thought it was a joke and they wouldn't get paid. Nobody knew what to expect. The idea of just somebody putting a half a million dollars on the table for somebody, a tournament no one's heard of before was insane. So 8.30 yeah. in the morning was our first game time. And on that team, we had four guys warming up. And Marshall Henderson was the fifth guy who showed up with a jersey around his shoulder and half on. And he said, let's play ball. He just came out of a great prolific career at Ole Miss at the time. And if he's willing to show up on a Friday morning in front of 17 people (laughs) at 830 in the morning in the middle of Philly (laughs) and play basketball, uh, that was like a an absolute game changing moment. Like when the, when the ball went up and he, he was on the court with Hakeem Warwick, who had this prolific NBA career um, yep. as a Syracuse, former Syracuse player. And once I saw the caliber of player, it was, that was a huge, huge uh, proving point for us. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. Um, I, I knew there had to be kind of these milestones that you hit. Right. 
Um, and, and, you know, and it's been pretty easy to see organically from the outside looking in because guys like myself, um, you know, I look back at that first year, which I don't even think I had heard of it at that time. And I follow hoops as closely as anybody, right. That's not doing it for a living. And I really didn't notice it until I think VCU had an alumni team and, uh, truth be told, John, I think people in Dayton kind of mocked it a little bit because we love to shit on anything that's VCU related. We're like, oh, what are these VCU people doing? Like getting in this like piddly tournament, right? Well, then like the next year or whatever it was two years later when Dayton got their own team, well, my mind changed. Everybody's mind changed. We're like, oh my God, now we get to maybe beat VCU, maybe win this tournament. Um, so it, it's funny how those things kind of, like I said, you have these like milestones um, as you, you go down this path. But now that you've been doing it for like eight or nine years, is there something that you look back on that you like wish you would have known when you started that you obviously know now? Just how impossible it is to do what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. and you, you know, you look around and say there aren't a lot of sports properties that start up and or make it that long. There are a lot that start up, but they run out of money in, you know, week seven of their football season or whatever. Um, yeah, but we for us to be here nine years later, we I think our original plan was just to go out and get four sponsors for five million dollars each, have a ten million dollar prize, and you know it would just take a call to Anheuser Busch to get that done, and um, and it's been nine years of just scratching, scratching and clawing, you know, slowly every year having year over year growth and focusing on building an awesome product that we really believe in. Yeah. So I think. That's the one thing I would uh, I would probably tell myself is prepare for a very long, long ride here. Yeah. I mean, could you attribute it to one thing or the other? Or do you think it's been a combination of things that's led to the success you've seen with TBT? It's our, our team is so, so good. Um, and I think that we're trusted tastemakers at this point, having taken a lot of risks over the past several years. For sure. A lot of them panning out. Um, just from the concept itself, you know, when, like you said, as a fan from afar, this never came on your radar and you look skeptically, skeptic, skeptically um, on VCU and teams like that. And um, it took a while for us to prove out what we thought would happen, which is for this to be like a field of dreams moment for passionate college fan bases and college programs. Yeah, and it really has been, man. Um, you know, let's shine the light on our fan base here. Dayton, uh, four years ago, uh, you guys put us in uh, what was a Capital University in Columbus. And I, I think it was a Saturday afternoon that they played. And I was on vacation um, in New England at the time, so I couldn't be there. But sure enough, you get the, the Red Scare alumni team, Dayton guys, they roll the ball out and the line was out the door to get in. I think they sold 2,500 tickets, sold the place out. So from that point forward, I hate to say it, but like Dayton fans were kind of all in or we were in enough to the point where, we're, where we had proven, hey, if you put a team on the floor that's a bunch of Dayton guys, the fan base here is going to support it. And I, I guess I don't have to tell you anything that's that's going to be new to you because here we are four years later and we're about to play a home game at UD Arena. And I think everybody's very um, anxious to see how many people that we do get in the building. But that had to be pretty obvious from the outset that, hey, involving Dayton, involving our fan base, involving guys from our program was kind of a no-brainer, right? Yeah, and th that was really an education process for me and our team. As much as 
you were educated on TBT. We quickly became educated on which fan bases and which teams were out there that would really grasp onto this. Sure. I mean, for, from our mindset, you know, we were thinking, of course, like we had brand names of college basketball teams that we thought would 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 be drawn to it. But when we get a team like Syracuse alumni in 2015 to show up and all of a sudden 20 minutes before the game, orange shirts just start flooding through the door and they start standing and clapping during our game. And then the next year, VCU alumni, their band shows up. And then that game, that moment you talked about at Capital University in Columbus, where I literally just walked in the gym thinking there would be, you know, 50 to 100 people there. And it was totally banged out with red shirts. And I thought, oh, these Ohio State fans that are early? And like, no, they're all Dayton fans. <laughs> yeah. and, and I was just totally caught off guard. And I had the same experience with Wichita State, too. And there are these fan bases across the country that maybe just don't get the recognition that uh, where people like me would would really understand the passion and intensity because you're all playing basketball in the winter, you know, opposite one another on the same night. And it's a very crowded space. And so it's hard to break through on a national level, but for us to be alone in the summer is the only basketball event. It's a good opportunity to shine light on, on fan bases like Dayton. Yeah, I would agree with that. And um, even to the point of saying that the people that have tried to copy what you guys are doing and having other basketball teams, tournaments in the summer i mean they haven't been as successful they haven't been as widespread they haven't got as much coverage they haven't generated as much revenue and it's for the same reasons that we're talking about right now you have to have that foundation that framework you have to know where you're going um frankly i thought it was kind of insulting to tbt that this whatever this is, league drew thing is where like lebron just showed up to play a pickup game I, I mean i think that's kind of insulting to what tbt is doing because you guys have such a great foundation you have sponsorships you're on espn and, and now you have other guys who are maybe competitors of yours, or maybe they're envious of what you have built saying, hey, why don't we try to put together another tournament? And that's how you got that big three where this is my words, not yours. You get a bunch of washed up NBA guys who are 40 years old playing 3v3. I don't find that particularly compelling. Maybe some, but some people do. I think some people do because there's obviously people that watch it. Um, but as they say, imitation is the highest form of flattery, right? Um, if you guys weren't doing something that was worthwhile, you wouldn't have imitators trying to come in and copy it and try to grab some revenue share in the month of July. Um, so it leads me to, you know, my next question was, do you think that putting it in this dead period for sports has really helped you? I, I guess the answer is pretty obvious, but was it always the intention to have it in July, right around, you know, the all-star game or, you know, for baseball, whatever, just because there is a dead period in sports? Yes, we we went where we thought the opportunity was for to become a broadcast event as quickly as possible, and that very clearly, and yep. that was that was midsummer, which happened to coincide with the a time of year when all overseas professionals are are gone and uh, NBA players are off in training and in gyms, like you said, the Drew League specifically. I have enormous respect for as a uh, a basketball fan. That was one of the leagues. They've been around a long, long time. And that's a place that sort of like Rucker Park where guys have shown up like Kobe Bryant way back when and just walked in the gym in Compton and played. And it's like it's a it's a summer pro-am. And we actually have had a team from the Drew for the past several years. So there you go. 
but they're not a they're not a broadcast a live broadcast event and so what what we had to do was figure out you know how can we differentiate and make this a live event that matters because like i said in the first moment of day one we knew we had an unbelievable caliber player that looked like an nba caliber player so how can you get people to care about them enough to watch it live yeah, well, I appreciate you giving me a, a little bit of an education because this was the first year I had heard of of such a thing like this true league. I had no idea what it was. I just saw it because LeBron had showed up and that's always going to make news like whatever he's doing. You know, if LeBron makes tacos on Tuesday, it's news, right? Um, so I, I do I do appreciate you backing me up there uh, just to, to give me uh, some context as to how it came to be. But um no, I mean, your points are all received. And I think I've said it a bunch of times that and I said this on Twitter last week that um, I, I think the July time slot has definitely been why you guys have been successful, number one. But number two, the willingness to innovate and your willingness to try new things, I think, is really what has set you guys apart. And of course, the number one thing that, you know, I'm getting to is the Elam ending. Um, did Nick approach you? Did you approach him? How did the, the idea first come to be? I don't remember specifically if you had the Elam ending from the jump, um, no pun intended, or if you guys added it like in year two or three. How did that come to fruition? It was three days after our championship game in 2016, and we got an email at info at the tournament.com, our general email box, that was a 67-page PowerPoint deck from Nick Elam. <laughs> <laughs> That's very Nick Elam, yes. <laughs> and, um, it, you know, when you get stuff like that in your general email box, you, you're looking for reasons to dismiss it. Sure. Right from, right from the cover note down. And it was perfectly worded, perfectly punctuated, to the point where, I, okay, I'll give this an open. Uh, I'm not going to download just yet to my desktop, but I'll, I'll take a quick view of it. <laughs> and then, so I open up the PowerPoint, and same thing in the PowerPoint. It's like very eloquently worded. It's well thought out. And then the point he's making had is was a really sense one that I'd grown really sensitive to as like an event operator now with games on TV. There are games in basketball where the spread is four to fifteen where it's just absolutely brutal from a fan experience perspective. And like as somebody who was really aware at that time of wanting to give fans a great experience, it really touched a nerve with me. So the idea that someone had come up with this idea that could alleviate that or potentially solve that was, was really appealing and, and got me to start looking into doing some serious background checks in Nick Elam. Uh, and see what he was all about. And then sure enough, you found out that he went to the great university of Dayton in Ohio, you know, so it all comes full <laughs> yeah. circle, my friend. Not only that, but like, <laughs> he was Mensa and, and he's on the Cincinnati Reds groundskeeper, uh, keep keeping crew. Yeah. So I found out a lot about him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Us well-rounded guys, you know, that's, we, we tend to go far in life, uh, I say, but, uh, yeah, and, and it's it's been cool for us because every time I see the Elam ending somewhere, and I've told Nick this before on this program, uh, you know, we see it in the All Star game, and he's right there, you know, talking to Chris Paul, and I'm like, well, that's one of us, you know, he's one of our guys. Uh, we get to claim him, you know, he, he's got the degree to to, uh, to back up why we claim him, so it's it's been cool. Um, finishing up with John Mugar here on Talking Out Loud, and uh, obviously you know, appreciate the time you've extended to me right before we we get to to Dayton. Um, 
you can go inside baseball on this as much as you're allowed to share, but how did the decision get made to, to go to Dayton and finally use UD arena? Was it in conjunction with the school? Did you approach them? You know, how did that all come and uh, it come to be? After that first showing in Columbus, we knew there was an amazing fan base to tap into. And just anecdotally, just being, you know, traveling with TBT over the few years prior to that, everyone was saying, you have to go to Dayton. You have to go to Dayton. Um, Fans there are incredible. And I knew all about the first four and the show that is put on every year there. And so we're always looking for pockets of rabid basketball fans. And um, it just made sense. So after that, event in uh, in Columbus we had talked to Scott at University of Dayton about the possibility of going there and it all went from there yeah hell yeah and now uh, look at look at us look at us man um yeah now we get our game here on Sunday coming up uh at uh, 3 p.m eastern at the arena and I know I'm really excited to see how many people show up um it'll be cool to see our alumni guys get to play another meaningful game on the court um Trey Landers and CJ Walker joining us uh, at the end of the next break uh to talk about it um CJ not being a Dayton guy and Trey of course um you know graduated from UD after that 2020 season but um you know, talking about where it goes from here, what, what, do you, what are your insights there, John? Where does TBT go from here? Well, I'll say just quickly on Dayton. Like, if I'm putting myself in position of a Dayton fan, a Rabbit fan, you know, why, why would I go to the event? What kind of experience can I get out of it? You know, beyond that initial field of dreams, cool to see guys playing together from different eras. If you look at the opportunity over the next two weeks where your arena and your team will be solely featured, on ESPN across 287 countries because there's no other basketball and you have the opportunity to will your alumni team through a six game event to a million dollars. Like the, the experience there of going on and rooting them on from round one to two to three to quarters and semis, and then a million dollar winner take all championship in UD arena in front of a packed house would be, an unbelievable display and exhibit of fandom in Dayton. And, and it would be an awesome, awesome experience for people to go. So like that, that is a, is there something in your future potentially if people seize on it to, to make it like a really a top 10 sports moment in the, in the whole calendar of any potential league like that, that whole, that idea would just be incredible. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you, man. Uh, I had a big smile on my face while you were you were going down that list of of things we can do to will them on. But um, I think your point's well received. There's something tangible about this, you know. Um, I like to say that one of the reasons I think that a lot of people show up in Dayton is because when you do get such a big crowd together, it makes it feel like it matters, you know. And I don't mean to like poo-poo on basketball or sports in general but i think you see what i'm saying like the more people that you experience something with the more you're gonna feel like that mattered or that really was like a watershed moment in your life right whether that's going to the nba finals or going to the tbt um you know we always go ahead absolutely true it's absolutely true. Like you get to a tipping point where people are feeling secure and they feel like oh i gotta get my friend here and and they start reaching out and you know we know that the basketball is good but the show for us is really fan bases so what our the best comments we always see online is you know why the hell am i watching a packed wichita state arena 
with 7,000 people there in the middle of July. <laughs> and it's like, and to see people have that impression and that reaction, and this is, you know, little do people know this happens all the time in the winter, but we have this unique stage to put it all across the world. And so it's, it's a great opportunity. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And uh, you're lucky, John, that we just got air conditioning in UD Arena like a couple of years ago, because if we didn't, <laughs> this whole plan would have gone to shit, man. <laughs> I'm not sweating my balls off in UD Arena. All right. One way I, you know, you could be playing a regular season game against UD. And <laughs> that'd be yeah. really tough to, to swallow. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, your, your points well received. Like that's the spectacle of it. Like, if 2000 people went to Dayton games, you know, it just wouldn't mean as much to people. It wouldn't, we wouldn't get to say things like we're the only show in town. And, and then, you know, this coming weekend, we actually do get to prove it. Like this is the only show in town. This is what we care about in Dayton, Ohio. This is what we do. We go to basketball games. We go to the arena. That's, uh, that's church for us. You know, it's church for me. And, um, and that's why we keep showing up because it, it does have this community sense and, and it matters to everybody for the reasons that we've outlaid. So, um, yeah, points all well received, man. And it's it's cool to, to be on with you because I know that we're on the same wavelength. And that was you know one of the reasons I wanted to get you on the show today to talk through some of these things. Um, because, you know, we, we've seen what you're doing and seen how you've grown it. And, um, you know, it has to be pretty cool to, to see this, I guess it's your child, you know, really grow up into like a full sized adult that uh, uh, is kind of taken off and, and having a life of its own, right? Yeah, it's really it's gratifying really for the whole team. I think not just me, but, um, it's, we have so much of a hand in it. Uh, and to see, you know, I was sitting in that in Chicago and 20,000 people three years ago for the all-star game and to see them all embrace this experimental ending that we named and helped develop, you know, with Nick was, um, was a position I never imagined being in and to, you know, after the game, there's no cab to be get to be hailed. Walking back with Dan Friel, you know who we, who this all started with, to mm -hmm. our uh, from from the arena in Chicago to our hotel, and we get a call from Chris Paul from the locker room, all excited, and you know, he's telling me how much all of the players loved it, and everyone you know became a child again and was competing hard again, and you know players were taking charges, and to think that. That came from a text message from seven years ago. is uh, is pretty remarkable and awesome. Well, hats off to you for changing the basketball landscape uh, one summer tournament at a time, man. We uh, we greatly appreciate you for it, and I can speak for uh, many Dayton fans out there, at least the ones listening to this podcast, and saying you know we thank you for including us, and then of course you know bringing it home for us to uh, to enjoy in our own arena and our own home floor that uh, that we love so much. So. Um, you know, last question before I let you go, John, we've, we've gone well over time and I was late for our interview today. Um, but uh, where does you know, TBT go from here? Do you have any idea or are you just kind of taking it day by day and year by year at this point? The initial idea was a $50 million tournament. So we have a lot, a long way to go for that. And uh, I still think that would be really cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure the players think it'd be really cool too. Don't worry. Um, I think we're we're all trying to make a little bit more out here, one way or another, whether it's basketball or in our own careers. Um, but yeah, hey, I uh, we'll be along for the ride, and uh, you know, Dayton fans, I'm sure, will be some of the people that uh, that prop this up and and get it out to larger audiences as our team takes the floor here this weekend. So, uh, thanks again for the time, John. I hope we can cross paths in Dayton as this whole thing is going down the next couple of weeks. But uh, really appreciate the time and what's extended, man.
Yeah, that would be great, Dan. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, that's John Mugar, founder and CEO of the TBT, right here on Talking Out Loud. We'll be right back. CJ Walker, Trey Landers on the other side of the break. I'm still your boy, Seller, and you're still listening to the best podcast in the A10 for Dayton basketball fans just like you. Welcome back to Talking Out Loud. Still the number one podcast in the Atlantic Ton for Dayton Flyer basketball fans like yourself. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the interview we did in the uh, middle of the show with John Mugar, uh, the founder, CEO of TBT. I thought he had a lot of great insights about the formation of the TBT and, you know, obviously how it came to Dayton and how we ended up having games at the arena coming up here this weekend. But I uh, wanted to get a little bit more into the weeds about what's coming up this weekend. And on Sunday, our Red Scare taking the floor. I keep repeating it three o'clock by tickets show up. And in that same breath, uh, I have two of the members of the Flyers TBT Red Scare team joining me. CJ Walker, formerly of Ohio State and Florida State and Dayton's very own Trey Landers. What's going on, fellas? How are we doing today? You rested on? up after a long day of practice here this morning? Yep, yep. Yes, yes, yes. Rejuvenated. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. You, you guys are rejuvenated from the thin dorm beds that they stick in. But at least I mean, at least you get to be in the dorms. I don't know, Trey, like, would you rather be at the Dayton Marriott or is there something nostalgic about them putting you in the dorms? I'm not going to lie. Um, I'd rather be in the dorms just because I have so mem- many memories in here and it kind of making me reminisce, you know, when you get back into these rooms and stuff like that. So I, w- I would prefer to choose where I can I can get through the, the hard beds for two weeks. I'm cool with that. Yeah, I saw that you hopped on the sticks like almost immediately after getting back in the dorms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what's your what's your game of choice? Like Call of Duty? What are you guys usually playing in the uh, dorms? man, I'm a Fortnite dude. Oh yeah? Yeah, I'm not I'm not really a big gamer. So like I'm not a big like guy into like 2K and Call of Duty and stuff like that. So I really got like tuned into playing Fortnite when I would be like would it be like me, Dwayne. And Jalen and Obi and we all four play and then be up for like hours and have to live at eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that now you say that. Uh, I think that started to get on social media in like 2019, 2020 that you guys used to have like these heated Fortnite games, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, man. Uh, CJ, what about you, man? Is it is it cool to uh, kind of be at the dorms on UD's campus? I know you weren't a student at UD, but it's still mm-hmm. got to be a little bit different, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Kind of just like Trey said, you know, just bringing back the college memory, you know, walking through campus. And, you know, we died to kind of the same thing at Ohio State as well. So, you know, just bringing back that memory, you know, being a college, you know, we just ready to go. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's bigger than dorm rooms in a bed, you know, yeah. being here trying to, you know, compete at a high level. So. There's just some things you get through, but yeah, just those memories being created again. It's just, you know, something you can't, you know, take for granted. Yeah, for sure, man. It's it's a business trip at the end of the mm-hmm. day, right? Um, As always. Yeah. So walk me through how you, you ended up on the squad. Um, I, I actually didn't look it up beforehand, which makes me a bad radio host. But have you played in the TBT before like, last season? Were you in it or no? Yep. Yep. I played last year. So Trevor Thompson, um, obviously another Ohio State guy. Um, I was actually packing, leaving Columbus. Like, after I graduated, I was packing on my way home. And, you know, Trev was like, you want to play in the TBT? Do you want to hoop? And I was like, yeah, of course not. And, you know, we kind of just went from there. And then, you know, everybody accepted me here. Obviously, I know Trey. I've been playing against Trey since 
almost third, second grade. So I've been knowing him for a long time. So we just kind of, you know, ran for the hills from there. And so I'm here this year uh, with Joe and Bonsu, you know, wanting me to play and accepting me as well. So, like I said, just kind of went from there. Yeah. When you guys are are thinking about Trey, you know, like when you're making those calls, um, are you thinking about like the type of player you want or just guys that you played against that, you know, where dog is going to, you know, give you 100 percent on the court? Like, what is it like? I mean, are you you trying to fill out certain roles on the team or are you just like, yo, I know this guy can ball. I'm going to give him a call. Yeah, I mean, kind of majority of both. Um, I just figure, like, after playing in this for two years, uh, I feel like the, a lot of guys that win it are a lot of guys that's hungry, you know, and, and they, like, they they playing for something, you know. So, I, um, CJ was, you know, I've partially with me and Trev, you know, knowing him and stuff. But, like, I've seen him play. He's tough, you know, and I know he's going to be locked in and dialed in on a competitive standpoint. You know, another person that's come along this new this year is Joe Thompson. Yep. You know, he's from City Kid, just like me. Uh, I used to work out with him a lot growing up. And just his mentality and his, his experience that he can bring to the game and help us learn, you know, and just his will to win. If that burns off to one or two people along with me and CJ and we get a lot of guys on board, I feel like we can do something really dangerous. Yeah, for sure, man. It helps to have the home crowd behind you the whole way, right? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> You'll do the only team that'll get to have every game at home, you know, if you, if you make it the whole way. So that's, I mean, that's pretty cool mm-hmm. in and of itself. Um, yeah. In the interview that preceded the program, uh, the guy that founded TBT, John Mugar, he had mentioned that, uh, you know, if if it does come to fruition, you guys make the final, end up winning the whole thing. It'd be a pretty cool scene, you know, just because all the fans would be there for the whole ride. And, um, you know, how many times a year does the Dayton program or the, the arena itself get to be on you know a national stage and this would just be one of those times right i mean you guys get mm-hmm. to kind of see that all the way through it had to be weird to be back at the arena that first time though right don't lie to me like it had to be a little strange right yeah i'm not gonna lie it was it was a weird feeling like walking i was i was actually walking down the ramp with cj yeah. um and i was just telling him like i'm like dang like bro like just bring back crazy memory you know and i haven't played there what <laughs> two and a half years you know so just a just a you know, get back in the groove of that and, you know, being around the people that's working there and just remember them faces and them remembering me just gave you a, a really good feeling. Yeah, man, you, you don't have to buy a whole lot of beers in Dayton, Ohio, when it comes down to it, uh, <laughs> you know, after 2020. But uh, after uh, after things were done, I know that, uh, you know, the grind doesn't stop in college, right? You have to go out and make a living, however it may be. I know you ended up in, uh, in the G League for the charge, but you did a, a brief stop in Finland, um, but I I heard through the grapevine that, that shit's not all it's cracked up to be over in Europe. Um, what happened there? I mean, I don't know if it if it was something that was sore or whatever, but I guess a lot of my listeners like don't know what happens when you go overseas because like sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. So what was the case over there in Finland? I know you're out over there for a brief stint. I mean, like you got to think it's a business, you know. So when you yeah. come there and and they got this made out for you to do, you know, and if you have a few games where you're not, because I think they uh, they sent me and my friend Markel home after like 10 games, you know, which is kind of rare, like playing in, in Europe, you know. So now, mind you, we weren't playing like bad, but like I guess we just weren't meeting our expectations at the time, you know, and like we chalked it up man to man, coach to coach. And um, we had some differences, I guess, or whatever, and they made some changes with a couple guys. So that was what it, that was, you know, it was no bad blood, nothing type of thing like that. But obviously, like I said, I came home and I was blessed to end up getting in the G League, you know, which was kind of 
it was kind of different for me because of the transition of me playing two years in Europe and, and then the style of play that's played in the G League is, is so much different. It's like a, it's like night and day, you know. So I was still trying to get acquainted to that and, and get adjusted to that at the end of the day. But obviously I came mid-season, so it was kind of difficult to just kind of mesh and, and, and make myself look good and showcase myself to the best of my ability with, you know what I'm saying, the G League is being a lot of one-on-one type basketball. Yeah, what I've heard over there in Europe, not that I like have watched a ton of Euroball, admittedly, but from what I've mm-hmm. heard, it's it's more physical and and it's officiated differently, right? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, the refs <laughs> are most definitely inconsistent. That is like I don't know how y'all know like terminology, but in the trenches, I don't know if y'all know what that means, but that's what it felt like playing in Europe. Yep, <laughs> yeah, yep. Facts. A lot of banging down low. Yeah. Yeah. It's most definitely a different game than playing in the States for sure. And you got to think, too, like, other than, like, the Americans that, like, the the imports that go over there, like, a lot of those guys are, like, not as athletic, not as fast, you know. So, like, they got to use their IQ and their strength to the best of their ability. That's why you see a lot of the guys that are over, like, they're older. They excel a lot because of they know, okay, like, well, I got to find my niche because I got guys that's coming in that's – has a 40-inch vertical or gets out on the break and does this and does that. So let me figure out another way to make myself still look good with long me mm-hmm. playing against the athlete because I'm not as athletic. You know what I'm saying? So when those guys learn that, they become so good. Like, it's so many so many guys over there that's, like, crazy athletic that people don't even know about. You know what I'm saying? But it's like, yeah. okay, well, this is not really well, – at least from where I was at, the style of play of Germany and Finland is, like, two different, you know what I'm saying, ball games and stuff. So yeah. I just feel like the hardest games I ever had like as far as having a guard against a, a player was not playing against another American or guard another American, I will always say it was like the, the foreigners to me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause it's, it's just a different game. Right. Um, uh, two weeks ago when I caught up with uh, Bonsu and Mike, so uh, Bonsu made a good point. He said, there's a lot more guys over there like Ryan who craft their game around trying to get a certain call from a guy because they know the ref's going to give it to him. Right. Like you just have a lot of guys scheming about like, here's how I'm going to get this call. Here's how I'm going to exploit this weakness and this guy. Right. And when you have guys, like you said, been around for seven, eight years, they just get better at that craft. Right. They get better at exploiting the rules for lack of a better term. Right. I agree to that, man. They just, they do a good job of dissecting the game. Like uh, it was one guy that I played with uh, in Germany. His name was um, Tommy Kleppweiss. Uh, he's from Austria. Mm-hmm. And when I first got there, whatever, not the most athletic guy, not the strongest, not the biggest, you know, but like he got his game off so crazy, got so many calls. And just like watching him in the way that, you know, he, he prepares himself before the games, like the way he moves. And like, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a given, like to show you, like I can go get a guy right now from the States that's athletic, about 6'2", can get off the ground, probably don't shoot the ball as well, but he's an athlete, you know, but you got these guys over here who are, who are paying hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars because of what they know they're good at and they perfecting that, you know what I'm saying? So like, that's just, it's just seeing it and dissecting it and understanding it's just like, it's a whole different type of ball game. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. CJ, when you went over there, was that kind of the same thing for you? Like, what did you notice the most, or what did you have to change in your game when you went over to Germany, started playing over there? Yeah, so just just small things, you know, like with the triple threat, like you can't, you have to put the ball down first, you know, mm-hmm. like first step, taking away certain moves like that, something that, you know, like Trey was saying, like the way we play over here, we play fast, we're quick, we're more athletic. So over there, that kind of takes away, you know, some of the quickness or some of the, you know, different moves that you can go to and things like that. Other than that, like you said, physicality, I had to get used to that. And then, you know, you're in a situation where, you know, you're in a different country. You know, people aren't like you. People don't look like you, speak like you and yeah. things like that. So just getting used to the crowds and the environments and, 
you know, just trying to understand everybody and try to interact to the best of your abilities, Um, you know, and being kind of that lone wolf at the same time, trying to figure your way, you know, and that was my first time being away. Um, So, yeah, just different things like that. You just got to think about, you know, you can't just get on a flight and leave and or just drive down the road and see your family and things like that. The time differences and just different stuff you got to adjust to that people don't really consider. Um, when they think about people playing overseas, you know, from America that leave home and leave families and things like that. So that was pretty yeah. much my biggest thing is just getting used to the environment where I was living at in the time frame. And, you know, just trying to interact to the best of my ability, you know, not being, yeah. you know, like those people over there. Not to say they're those people, but, you know, I mean, we just, you know, <laughs> we're not the same. We do stuff different. So just trying to get used to that. Yeah, no, no, I get it, man. Um, and, you know, I, I think that uh, I was chuckling when you said like the time difference, because I remember when mm-hmm. I first graduated from Dayton, this was in 2012. Um, I went over to California. I worked over in San Francisco. And even that, like yeah. for me, I was like only Shit, three hours. Oh, my God, bro. Like, you know, I remember yeah. this one time um, I remember it was my dad's birthday and I had to work like a nine to five job, you know, and I worked a nine to five and then I had this conference until like six, six thirty. And, you know, my dad goes to sleep at 930. Like I miss the whole day And you <laughs> exactly. know, over in Germany. It's like, shit, your day's half Six over hours. before people are waking up. Right. That's what I'm saying. Man, to, to make it even worse, though, like if, when, when I was in Finland, like, first off, it's super cold. First thing, and it's a seven hour time difference from home. Yeah. And then it, the sun comes up at 10 o'clock and it's dark by 334 o'clock in the afternoon. Shit. Um, yeah. So it's like just having to sleep and. It, when I tell you it was so it was so difficult, it was that was difficult. Germany was is the I think the bottom was the time and it was kind of like a little little American now, certain places you go. Yeah. But when I was in Finland, like it was it was yeah, it's different. That's, <laughs> That's the word. Yeah, yeah, it's different. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, because I guess I think about now, like in the summertime. Um, yeah, I had a friend recently went to Iceland and, and it was like 1230 at night, you know, the sun's up. Well, yeah, basketball season doesn't happen in July, right? So, yeah, I totally get that, man. The sun's only up for like five hours. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I guess that, that makes it all the better to, to come home to Dayton and uh, why I guess you appreciate a dorm bed a little bit more after you've been halfway across the world. And, uh, the, you know, the bed probably feels a little bit more comfortable in the 937, right? <laughs> Anything at that point. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, coming, coming back and, and doing TBT, um, Trey, I know you, you've been around. Uh, is this your third year, right, in TBT? Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, I asked uh, I asked JB and Mike sell this because, you know, they, they've done it for a couple of years, too. But um, you know, have, have you learned kind of the ins and outs of TBT, how the game's played? I mean, do you feel like you have a better perspective on going into that first uh, single elimination game than you did two years ago? And I guess the question is kind of like, you know, what would you tell yourself two years ago that, you know, now going into this year's tournament? think the biggest thing that like i've been able to like watch it obviously basketball is gonna be basketball you know guys are yeah to compete and to into win you know and, and nobody's gonna back down from nobody that's just that's just what it is you know but i think the biggest thing about as far as including like the elon mending like people get teams get really really sloppy like at the end yep and uh, i figure like one of the biggest things that we need to focus on you know it's just staying like calm relax and in tune you know at the end of the whether we have a lead whether we down or whatever you know so you see a lot of guys like i was watching team arkansas they played against uh who they just lose to better cats yeah Yeah, they like they they down like seven and the gutter cats had to score like six more points or whatever 
And like they coming down one, two, jacking up three, three sets past half court. And I'm just like, bro, like that's yeah, that's not how y'all gonna win the game. You know, yeah. so I think the biggest thing I've seen like playing it the past two years, it's just how hectic stuff can get. And they for and for example, even when we played, like, you know, we were kind of the same way. We played House of Pain my first year. You know, they went on that run and came back, you know. So right. we just got sloppy. You know? So I just feel like if we just stay locked in at them points and not panic, we'll be fine. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a lot easier to diagnose that when you're sitting on the couch watching too, isn't it? Um, you're like me now where I'm like, man, why didn't they do this or do that? And it's like, well, shit, yeah. it's a lot easier to say that when you're on the couch. <laughs> but um, yeah, I was actually watching. I watched that game. And then last night uh, we're recording here on Wednesday, July 20th for all you out there. Um, I was watching the, the games at New Mexico last night. And more specifically, uh, the two late games in a row that involved New Mexico, uh, I'm talking about on, I think the first one was Monday and the second one was on Tuesday night last night. Um, there were a couple of just like very specific scenarios that played out that you really wouldn't consider going into the Elam ending. And one that I remembered is there was like 410 left on the clock. And New Mexico was about to go on defense and they had a foul to give. And I thought to myself, well, if you have a foul to give going into that four minute mark, you would want to give up that foul after four minutes because the downside is you could give up a bucket, right? As opposed to you get the clock stopped and then boom, the target score is set as opposed to your opponent scoring another bucket, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I guess it kind of turns into the question like, how much do you guys prepare for that? And, and how much does it go into consideration? I mean, I know a lot of it falls on, on Joe and, and Bonsu, but for you guys on the court, you know, is that something that not you have necessarily have to study for, but you kind of have to refresh your memory of, okay, if this scenario plays out, we do this, right? I mean, oh, yeah, guys, sure. go ahead. See, my fault. See, go ahead, bro. No, I was about to say, you must definitely got to be strategic, you know, even yeah. ending, you know, a lot can happen. You know, there's been teams that's came back before, as a team to keep the lead, but that's something that you just got to consider throughout a game, you know, to win the money. You think about everything in those situations because it's so much on the line and everybody's dedicated to winning. So you got to put everything in perspective. You got to know the foul count. You got to know the, you know, time to score the game. You got to know different situations. And like you said, a situation like that, you just got to know. Because if you give up a bucket, now they're closer to Ilham ended than you are. So that's just different stuff that you just got to consider and think about in the game. And that's something that, you know, I feel like this year's team has is that that communication and that understanding of each other. So that's just stuff that you got to consider, because at the end of the day, you're going to do whatever it takes to win. So you're going to think about everything, you know, in those situations. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing from you, Trey. You always, you know, kind of consider yeah. it in the back of your head, right? I, I definitely do. But I will say one thing that we have, like with us having CJ, Scooch and like Joe, like, those guys have such IQ, like, you know, especially with CJ and, and Scooch playing the one, you know, they're always aware of what's going on. So I don't think that's going to be a problem for us just to be aware of when to foul or not to foul situation yeah. and stuff. So that'll be fine. Those, they, 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 well, especially CJ does a great job of communicating, you know, so it's it's definitely not going to be a problem for us. I mean, obviously Joe <clears throat> Joey and them, like, they, they go on the coaches as best as they can, you know, and sometimes in the midst of a game you forget something. You know what I'm saying? Get caught in the mix of it. So at the end of the day, it's – what, 12 of us on the bench, somebody going to have to be attacking and tune to communicate, which we know we're all capable of doing and we're going to have that. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You brought up a good point, man. You guys you full up, you know, full roster this year, 10 guys. Um, is it hard to kind of juggle the the roles? I mean, you know, when it's uh, Coach Grant yelling at you, it's it's a little bit different than when it's, it's Joe and JB, right? Um, is it hard to kind of balance the rotation or, or do you guys kind of go in saying, here's all the roles we're going to play each night or here's the game plan and here's how we're going to attack, um, you know, whatever team we're playing? I mean, it just depends on, like, the approach to it. You know, obviously, a lot of teams here bring everything something different, you know. So, like, our team, we're so versatile. You got guys that can get hot or do anything on any given night. And we had a conversation yesterday, you know. It's just like, we don't come in here thinking, you know, you're about to be logging up 30 minutes. And, you know, we like, we got 10 guys that all can play, you know. So, yeah. just being able to, to embrace your role, you know, and, and sacrifice it. You know, at the end of the day, it's about winning. It's not about who was out there to score 30 or who was out there to score 20. Yeah. You know, and Joey made a good point. He was just saying, like, a lot of guys are only scoring around the 60s and 70s, you know, so it's yeah. not really nothing crazy going on. But at the end of the day, like, I just feel like with us embracing them roles and us having transparency as far as what we do and know what we do and excelling in that, we'll be fine. Oh, yeah, man. Well, I mean, it really comes down to valuing possessions. I mean, at the end of the day, that's that's all it is with TBT because um, you have less time. I mean, you're only working with nine minute quarters. And then once you get into the Elam ending, it's all about possessions because you're down five and, you know, you have two or three less possessions to work with in general. So um, I, I generally agree with that. You know, it's really not. Um, let's put it this way. I put out a podcast after Dayton games, but I'm not, you know, we dissect like, oh, he had, you know, 15 and 10. I'm definitely not doing that after TBT. Nobody's going through the box score. Exactly. You know, it's exactly. like whatever the final is, that's that's how the ball, uh, how the ball mm-hmm. lied. But um, I, I uh, yeah, I mean, that that's kind of the nature of the beast, right? Being in a single elimination tournament. So uh, yeah. I saw that uh, you guys got some some media attention. Jablo was at the practice the other day when you guys had your first one. Uh, at the arena, but um, it, is there anything you're looking forward to specifically, or is it just kind of cool? To, I guess this is more for Trey, like to get back out on the to the arena floor and, and really have like a meaningful game on the floor, right? I mean, when I talked to Ryan, he said something along the lines that I didn't even really think about, but he said, you know, when you walk off the floor for that last time, and specifically you guys, you know, because you were won the conference, you beat the crap out of GW, and it was just like the OB dunk show that night, you know you walk off the floor kind of expecting that to be it for you. And now here we are like three years later and you, you get to kind of do it again. I mean, is it, is, I, I mean, you already said it's kind of weird, but is that kind of just the number one thing looking forward to is, Hey, you get one more game on the floor. That means something, right? Yeah. I think I'm, I'm going to think of it on a deeper type of scale. And this is like, if you, this is how my mind is right now. Like obviously, yes, like that's the a big feeling and the thing right now, but uh, at, at that game, I had my brother, one of my brothers, uh, my god brother Clyde was there. And uh, I remember coming off the court or whatever and speaking to my mom and my nephew and then talking to my god brother Clyde. He just recently passed away. So my biggest thing is, like, I'm just blessed to be able to still be here to even to get to experience to walk back down that ramp. You know what I'm saying? So, like, yeah, I'm thinking of it on, obviously, like a basketball scale, yeah, but, like, I, I, I vividly remember so much more than, you know, just – us beating them by 20 and walking off the court winning and thinking we're going to Brooklyn and about to have a, ch- you know, a tournament <laughs> and everything, you know. So I think my mind and approach to it now for this past month will definitely give me a different vision on that. But yeah. I'm definitely excited, like I said, to be back around those fans and to get on the court with some great group of guys, you know. So I'm excited for sure. 
Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. And obviously, uh, you know, people around Dayton, myself included, everybody that's a fan of the program will always remember how the season went down. Um, I guess it, I can I can get to that quickly because we haven't done it yet. And I've tried to keep the focus on TBT by and large. But, um, you know, when the rug rug got pulled out from under you like two, three years ago, um, yeah. did you kind of use that as motivation in your pro career to, to go out and and, you know, value every game i mean i know that sounds kind of cliche but you really more than anybody and i mean all the guys that played in college basketball in 2020 that were going to the tournament but your team specifically you know did it kind of give you more of um an appreciation for how important every game is and to you know i guess give 100 percent every game right yeah it definitely made me have a different take on everything you know just because like you don't know when they can be taken away you know yeah. what I'm saying? And like, obviously the stuff that wouldn't happen that went on, it was, I, I damn near felt like I was in a movie. You know what I'm saying? And I feel like that's different for anybody that was, you know what I'm saying? Whether they had a, a chance to punch a ticket through their conference tournament, had a seating already or whatever, you know? So it definitely gave me a different perspective, you know, just to appreciate the game more, because like I said, it can be gone at any given time. Like I didn't even know if I was going to get a job coming out of COVID. There was so many guys that I knew that was, that's already been playing overseas, you know, I'm coming out of school and they not even having jobs, you know? So yeah. it's just like, okay, I'll have to look back like, damn, like I, I probably won't even be playing like basketball. It's a chance that I can't, yep. you know? So after I got my first job or whatever, I was just like, I was just blessed to, to, to be able to still bounce the ball and try to do my best to put it in the basket. You know yeah. What I'm <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, CJ, I know you had a different perspective because you, um, what had the transfer year, he sat out and then you had one more year that you could have exhausted in college ball and decided not yep. to, if I'm not mistaken. Right. How did you yeah, make yeah. that decision? What went into that, man? Um, Like you said, just going through college, you know, those four years of transferring and having different things happen. You know, I was just ready to move on. That's kind of what it was. Yeah. I was ready to be a professional. I was ready to, you know, to chase after something I've been chasing after for, for a long time. You know what I mean? At the time there was no NIL deals or anything like that, obviously. Yeah, so it was just a time for me, you know, to provide for my family, just put myself in a different situation to start, you know, my career. And that's what I was ready for. You know, me and Coach Holman had a great conversation about it. Yeah, so it was just, you know, at that time, I was just ready to move on, you know, with the schoolwork, with the traveling, the, the demanding of what college can do to you. I was just ready to move forward, you know, to be a professional. So that's kind of where I was at at the time. And it's worked out for me thus far. You know, I started off my rookie year really good. So no complaints from there. And I'm just looking to go up from here. So Shit, man, you're not telling me anything new. I remember <laughs> my senior year, not yeah. that I played basketball, but like I just remember like those last like six weeks of senior year. Exactly, bro. It's cool, it was but like, <laughs> yeah, you're like you're doing the same shit. And I'm like, OK, like I'm good now. You know, like I've done yeah. it all. I've seen it all. I've done what I've accomplished what I want to here at this time in my life. And mm -hmm. it's time to move on. Right. I mean, exactly. I graduated. I got my degree. That was something that was always planned out to be. You know, I did something that. You know, never happened to my family before being a first generation graduate. So, that's you know, awesome. just that's big like time, that. CJ. I know that that's big time, bro. Yeah, yeah that's so awesome, that's really big for me, you know, to be able to do that. So, once I accomplished all those goals, I've been, you know, ranked super high in the country. I've won a lot of games. I played at all my dream schools and was able to play at a high level. So, it was just one of those things that I kind of did it. And then I didn't want to be 26, 25 in college still playing with 17, 18 year olds. You know what I mean? It was just, you know, I was ready to move on, bro. There's nothing, there was nothing left for me, you know, to do or to be around for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. like I said, I was just ready to move on and start a professional career, you know, start traveling with my family and my fiance and things like that. So, yeah. so yeah, that kind of how that went down.
Yeah, I respect you, man, for knowing when it was time to to, to mm-hmm. get moving on. Um, exactly. Yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't be keeping it a buck though if I didn't ask you. Does that that Oral Roberts game still eat at you a little bit that you guys dropped that one? Does that oh, piss yeah, you off still? For sure, because <laughs> sure, we was not supposed to lose that damn game. We should have beat them by twenty. If we played them ten times in a row, they probably would have won that one game. We'd have won by twenty plus anywhere else. You know what I mean? I know. It's just, and it's just like we was the first ever, you know, losing two to fifteen or something like that. You know, that's something that doesn't usually happen. Yep. And yeah, so it was just, you know, BS all in itself. <laughs> I was a part of history on the wrong side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I guess that there's a, a good uh, radio topic like moving forward is like, would you rather have the tournament canceled on you or, or get your one shot and like lose to a 15 seed? I think everybody would say they'd rather play the game out. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. man, I, I know, like I said, I, I know that's that's just got to be tough. It's got to eat at you. But at the end of the oh, day, yeah, it's, sure. you know, the, you got you got to move forward. So, um, <laughs> yeah, finishing up now with uh, CJ Walker and Trey Landers uh, on the Red Scare team here coming up uh, on Sunday uh, back at the arena. Guys, it was it's great to catch up with you for a few minutes, talk some hoops. That's what I love to do. That's what listeners love to hear on uh, on this program, at least. But uh, I, I always end my interviews with final thoughts, uh, whether it's for the fans or yourself or being introspective. Uh, CJ, I'll start with you, man. Final thoughts as we kind of wrap up the interview before uh, before the game on Sunday, man. Uh, just my final thoughts, you know, if you obviously, you know, to the people listening, if you're obviously able to come to the game, come out, come out, support. It's going to be a really good environment. Uh, we got a really good team and we're ready, you know, to put on a show for people and, you know, show the players that we got and just play at a high level. So if you, you know, if you ever come to the game, come support, um, we're going to put on a show. No doubt. No doubt. Trey, how about you, man? Final thoughts for the listeners. Thank y'all for being on here. Thank y'all for supporting us. Thank y'all for everything that y'all do. Um, I feel like we deserve, you guys deserve to see us win this whole thing, especially after all the BS that's been going on, you know, so you guys come out, show love, show support, you know, we're going to do the best that we can to get the win and that, and you guys' favor, you know, so we appreciate y'all and we say thank y'all. Yeah. Hell yeah, man. That's all, that's all there is to say at this point. Um, you know, we've done four shows now. This is our last one before things kick off for TBT. So I know I'm excited. Uh, I can't be there on Sunday, but if you guys get the dub, I will definitely be there on Tuesday night. So you're going to see us too, Dad. Don't you worry. Yeah. All right. That's what I'm saying. Right. See, yeah, good. Uh, so there we go. Too, I'll be there Tuesday night then, no doubt. Um, so there it is. That's our show for tonight. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. We had the full hour, lots of interviews, packed a lot into uh, the one hour program. So uh, for John Mugar, for Trey Landers, for CJ Walker, I'm Sully. This is Talking Out Loud, where there's always two rules. You wear red, be loud, and we will see you on Sunday. Yeah. Now I'ma say this one time, boy, and that's my word. We rock the shot, the knock fire through the Hindenburg. The contribution is clear. You add water to bone and, and get the Jurassic vibe on the microphone. Now if you like the tone and how the harmony's done, and the sucker MCs die before they've begun. Well, I like to know if uh, you got the notion. Cause we're number one. I'm not trying to say my style is better than yours. I'm just on some other shit. I'm all about the beats and the lyrics. So when you hear it, you can feel it. Bob is energized by the presence of my spirit No interference, we persevere The purpose is clear We're here to leave your ear hurt and severe You're lurking in fear Cause we take it back like Robin Loxley Rocking from countryside to spots where hard rocks I be I often wonder if these MCs even know how it feels To dedicate their whole life to this mic of steel It's it not about
about the bill That's not keeping it real A lot of tight rappers out here ain't got no deal We appeal to the brothers with flow finesse Cause it's the 100 watt bloodshot game of death Cause we're protected by the covenants of words and beats Rewind and feel the heat recline and take a seat So uh, let's take it back to the concrete streets Original beats with real live MCs Playground tactics, no rabbit in a hat tricks Just that classic, rap shit from Jurassic Let's take it back to the concrete streets Original beats or real live MCs Playground tactics, no rabbit in a hat tricks Just that classic, rap shit from Jurassic Now I walk from Transania, Earthquake, Transylvania And all the way I kick the hole through the wall of China Just to get the right blend Cause I'm schizophrenic of the pen Wait a minute, I fell into the deep end You shouldn't have told me the pyramids can hold me So now I can't is what you owe me Pull out your beats, pull out your cuts Give us a mic, what up? And we gon' tear shit up I'm on some old and forgotten Sun up to sun down Like picking cotton, the nutty professor Science dropping, rockin' Robbins Hood from New York to Compton Me and my three sons, Jabari, Shakir, and Kaz So uh, let's take it back to the concrete streets Original beats with real live MCs Playground tactics, no rabbit in a hat tricks Just that classic, rap shit from Jurassic Let's take it back to the concrete streets Original beats with real live MCs Playground tactics, no rabbit in a hat tricks Just that classic, rap shit from Jurassic I get goosebumps when the baseline thumps A sucker MC for style, he had mine for lunch Mark 7, get you open like an attache Briefcase in this case, defeat there is no way <laughs> With tool spinners, cooking the full dinner Killing the firstborn of lyrical Yule blenders Winners at the academy, rattling your anatomy Gotta be J5, so kill all your fake flattery That'll be the day when labels pay our way Tune to what you say when MCs come to play Unfinished, cause we take it back like Spinal Tap Preparing your intellect before your final nap So uh, let's take it back to the concrete streets Original beats with real live MCs Playground tactics, no rabbit in a hat tricks Just that classic, rap shit from Jurassic Let's take it back to the concrete streets Original beats with real live MCs Playground tactics, no rabbit in a hat tricks Who got beef, huh? Watch your lot, settle it I fuck around and arrest your whole development I'm eloquent when it comes to digital display I'm ready for the world while you earl off the tango ray tactics My shit's Jurassic, ah Fingers of death while you exhale and inhale with the deep with my chop suey style cause I'm a lyrical chef I get smarter to death cause I be cooking From here to Brooklyn Your shit's annoying like fat ass bookmen On good times when I rhyme I hit the designated area I hope you got your shots cause this is lyrical malaria Spreading, beheading fools with the punishment I live in America but fuck this government 150 times over silk with lead While y'all drink the simmer like my rhymes are breastfed No artificial nipples, I flip the real skills I thought I told you once I kicked the Lyrical windmills and backspin Benedict strictly for my benefit I step on toes when I flow Don't get offended Come and get with it Comprehend it when I kick it I represent the real from the beginning to the end of it, the end of it.